Hola amigos, welcome to the Best of Mazatlan show. My name is Mark Glickman and I'm your host and publisher of bestofmazatlan.com, the leading digital lifestyle brand of Mazatlan, Mexico. This show will feature entrepreneurs, leaders, local businesses, nonprofits, realtors, musicians, and other stories that showcase the best of Mazatlan, Mexico. I'm thrilled to be with my guest, Hector Panish, owner and chef of Hector's Bistro. There's been an explosion of new restaurants in Mazatlan, especially in Old Town, Centro Historico, at, that are taking the traditional foods of Mazatlan and Sinaloa and elevating the dishes in a world-class way. And who better to talk about it than a world-class chef and owner of one of the crown jewels of the emerging Mazatlan food scene, Hector Panish. Hector's Bistro serves modern European dishes utilizing local ingredients. And Hector is the former chef of the Four Seasons in Mexico City and the Four Seasons in London, so you know he has some serious chops. If you're planning a visit or planning a move to Mazatlan, Hector's Bistro is one of the must-go-to restaurants, and if you've been there before, you'll go back to it because it's that good. It's a great pleasure that I welcome to the Best of Mazatlan show, Hector Panish. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. I'm going to start the show, Hector, by turning it over to you to tell us a bit about you, your background, and how you ended up back in Mazatlan from the streets of London to open up your own restaurants. Well, Mazatlan is my hometown. I grew up here. And uh, I studied to be an accountant when I, while I was in, in Mazatlan. My, my father sent me to school in Monterrey to become an accountant. And I was very bad at it. Very bad. My, <laughs> my sister says that I have a attention deficit disorder, but because I was raised in the 70s, all I got was the back of the hand <laughs> instead, of, uh, instead of medication and, and, uh, and, and consultations. He's get a slap every now and then. <laughs> but so I went to four universities and I didn't graduate from any. So eventually, eventually my dad gave up on me and, and, uh, <laughs> and I left, uh, I left Mazatlan to travel to South America. So I, it took me three years to come back. A part of my travels was in a bicycle. So while I was traveling, because uh, I didn't know what to do with my life. I was 24 and I, I realized that I wasn't good a student of anything. So I didn't know what to do. Well, to support for my travels, I will wait tables every time I run out of money while I was traveling in a bicycle. And was at this moment when I realized how much of a good time and how well I could actually do the job as a waiter. The, the more gigs I had as waiters in different countries, uh, the more I was secure, I was sure that that's what I wanted. So it was in Chile at the end, in the south of Chile, it was a place like, imagine Vail, Colorado like that. Yeah. Beautiful mountains, lots of skiing and all that. So I was working there in the, in the Chilean summer and uh, I was working in a restaurant very similar as my restaurant, you know, uh, a nice Italian restaurant, you know, elegant but not too much and it was a perfect place to work. And that's when I saw the food and the kitchen vibe and that's when I said, okay, I want to become a chef. So I flew back to Mexico. I flew back to Mexico after three years of not going back, and I talked to my dad and said, I know what I want to do with my life. I want to become a chef. And my dad said, well, don't look at me, man. I'm not going to pay for any school. 
So I tried to I tried to get money to to pay for the school. And then realized the schools were way too expensive, way too much, too much money. They want too much mm -hmm. money for for a degree that is actually worthless. Anyway, so and I get to back to why it's worthless. Uh, so anyway, um, so when I go when I go I go and knock on the doors of the Four Seasons Mexico City, and I explain where where, where do I come from, what am I doing. Uh, the travel I just been and the, the decision I have made to become a chef, and I said I am willing to take uh, any position in your kitchen, uh, even a kitchen porter. All I want to do is I want to be in the kitchen. So I did five uh, interviews with different. You keep going all the way up to the general manager, right? And the general manager saw my CV and it had nothing to do with kitchen, mostly jobs and. And I remember the guy, he asked me these questions. He says, what, look at my CV, he wasn't impressed. And he was like, what can you do? And I took a, took a second and I remember I said to the guy, I said, well, I know how to listen. I know how to follow instructions and work in a team. And he said, okay, that's good. We'll teach you how to cook. And then I, that was my first gig. I was the wow. last guy. I was the last guy in the kitchen at the Four Seasons, probably the worst paid. And I was so happy that I got the job. That's a great and, story. And, uh, yeah, yeah. It was funny because when we were signing a contract, there was a very right. posh Mexican girl signing the contract, and we were reading the contract. And right. when I was reading, I was going to make something like $150 a month. And I was like, yes, $150. <laughs> like, yes, man, I'm going to party. You know? right. And she was like, $150? That's how much I put on petrol on my car. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I traveled by bus, honey. Uh, it's gonna have, I'm gonna have plenty left, you know. <laughs> so after two years, Mexico City, I went to I applied for a transfer to London. They asked me why I wanted to go to Europe, and I said, well, because all the big bosses here are European. They're not American; they're all European. I said, so something is going on in Europe that you need to import them, and, and because we don't have it, so I want to know what right. it is. So they sent me to London, the European guys and the French guys, because it's a French mafia. So the French mafia sent me to my, my capo called the other capo. And then uh, she said, okay, send him, send him to London. And when I went to London, then I saw what was going on. I worked so the fastest I could, the best I could. And after two weeks, they pulled me in the kitchen. They pulled me in the office. And the chef said, we're not getting enough from you. And I'm thinking, what do you mean? I'm already working 12 hours. And the guy said, that's your problem. I give you a job for 10, not for 12. You're too slow. He said, if you can't do it, it's OK. We'll get someone who can, and you go back to Mexico. <laughs> oh, Jesus. So, so they gave me another two weeks uh, trial. And I somehow managed it to, okay, what am I doing wrong? What is it? So eventually I did it. I did my whole year. They sent, another, they sent me with another French mafia guy to Punta Mita. But in that time, I met this uh, English girl who worked in the kitchen because everybody was French. Right. They did like five interviews in English to assess my level of comprehension. And, and, and then I go into a kitchen and everybody's French. And I said to the guy, well, no, I don't speak French. My interviews were in English. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so he said, you go work with Victoria. Hey, she's from England. 
So I said, hey, uh, are you Victoria? And she's rolling croissants like a mad person. And I said, I, she's like running around. And I says, hey, are you Victoria? And she's like, yes. Well, I'm supposed to work with you. And she looks at me and she says like, well, crack on then. And that's it. That's it. Now she's my wife. She still says crack on. Wow, wow. You know, we've been married for 22 years now. Oh, my God. That's such yeah, a great yeah. story. Yeah, she still bosses me around, though. Yeah, so. <laughs> but it's a good thing. It's a good. We make a good team. Yeah, that's a great a story. Team. I love that story. So she did yeah. more than train. She did more than train you. She married you. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so then we went to Mexico. With we, we we work in Mexico for three years with different restaurants and different parts of Mexico. Uh, I proposed marriage to marriage to her in in the Everest Base Camp in Nepal. Oh, wow. She said, yes, we got married in Bucerías, Nayarit, by Punta Mita, on a very nice sailboat. We had a nice ceremony there. And then we went uh, and worked, and then uh, went back to London and worked for, went back to the Four Seasons one more time, but then I moved to Italian cuisines because I'm fluent in Italian, so then I could, like, then I could work with them. Right. So then, then, I, then I worked with them. My wife worked with us as well. So we worked for another six years, six, seven years in, with Italian chefs. And then eventually I turned 40 and I said, hey, you want to have children or not? Because I'm 40. Right. And she said, yeah, let's have some children. And I said, okay, now <laughs> London is not the place. Right. London is not the place to have children because then you have to move to suburbia. Right. And then I have to commute and that's not a life. Right. Right. And then I said, let's, because we lived in central London. Right. We were having a great time. We we cycled through Central Park, you know, High oh, Park, nice. and working the other side of the park. And we loved it. We loved right. London. We love it. It was an amazing, amazing city. Love it. But with children, then everything becomes tricky because it's so expensive. You have to of move course. out of the city yeah. and now go. And that's now that's when you lose the fun to be in London. Right. So we said two choices. Should we go to the countryside in, in England where your, your dad has a farm and then we find somewhere near there? Or we go back to Mexico. And she said, no, let's go to Mexico. So we came to Mazatlan, my hometown. And wow. we opened this little restaurant that we took a restaurant that it was in such a bad condition. We took on a restaurant that was such a bad condition. It was very, very cheap to get. So we took it. And we turn it around right away and immediately, because it's Mazatlan and everybody knows you. Right. Everybody came. I remember a customer saying, Hector, you need more air condition here. And I said, yes, I know, but we're just starting. And, and the guy lent me the money for the air condition. Wow. That's he great. He says, come, come to my office. I'm going to give you a check. And you're going to put air condition and you're going to move. You know, and he gave me a lot. A lot of people helped me. That's great. A lot of my customers. A lot of my customers. Fantastic. That, that's how I got there. That's great. What a great story. Well, thanks, Hector. Look at if if you're watching this live, everybody, please like and share the show and send in your questions to Hector. And to send in your questions, you can do it on any Facebook page you're watching, or you can go to uh, streamyard.com/slash/facebook and give them permission, and you can ask questions that way. And if you're watching later, you can still send your questions in and we'll try to get them answered. There's going to be an archive version of this show on bestofmazatlan.com. So 
Hector, when did you know you wanted to open up your own restaurant in Mazalan? When you were coming back, or when I when I came back, we 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 realized that in Mexico, I mean, there's no point of going and get a job for someone else in Mexico. Right. I'm already I already work in London. Right. You don't work you don't work for a chef in Mazatlán because who is he gonna be? Right. So so no, the idea was to open our own restaurant. So we knew we knew that there was somebody looking for a partner, a chef. And and the, they already had some sort of restaurant mm -hmm. that when we arrived, we said, oh, my God, this is not a restaurant. I mean, this is you got tables and chairs, but this is by no means. A <laughs> I mean, we came from fine dining, right? I right mean, we came course. from rational, rational ovens, you know, vacuum right. packs, sous vide, you know, the whole nine yards. I have Paco Jet, you know, like right. if anybody knows what a Paco Jet is, is the most expensive machine to make perfect ice cream. Right. Just to make a perfect canal, right? right. So it's uh, it's uh, it's one of those things that you have to make do, right? And then we wanted to do that, and and, and the whole goal also also was to to raise children in a, in a town that it was small that we had support because my parents were there, my sisters mm -hmm. were there, and they all were like really eager to to help us with the children, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, there's something to be said for that. Well, it's Mexico. You see, when you live in a country where you cannot count on the government, then family gets together because that's because that's your safety net. Right. You know, like with COVID, for example, you got COVID, mm -hmm. so your your government in the United States, Germany, England, France, they give you money to each of you. Right. So you don't need your family because your government is taking care of you. Right. In a country like Mexico, the government doesn't give you anything but grief. So. So, okay, so then you count on your uncle and your aunt and your sister and your wife and your mother and your son. Okay, everybody. You know, like my dad doesn't have a pension scheme. He mm -hmm. doesn't have it. He doesn't. He, the government gives him, gives him something like $100 a month right. and another for my mom. That doesn't cover mm -hmm. anything. My dad drinks wine and smokes cigars. Right. <laughs> right. And then so his four children will make sure that he wants for nothing until the day he passes right you know and and, mm -hmm. and and that's that and that's just what that's just what family do and i'm not saying it's a mexican thing i'm just saying it's a family thing it's a and i think if you go probably to cambodia or to china or to philippines and to nicaragua and i guess the poorer the country the more you rely you rely on your on your peers on your family to to succeed because otherwise because uh, you're not going to get anything from the government right you know yeah what you yeah. want from from the mexican government is to stay away right, right. Like, i don't want anything for my business just stay away you know yeah well since you mentioned your family i just want to give a shout out to your sister claudia because she was my son sebastian's pediatric dentist and yes. she was terrific we love claudia so anyway yes, shout out yeah. shout out to your sister but um, anyway, so given your background, it's understandable why you'd, you'd focus on modern European cuisine. But what made you think that that would work in Mazatlan? Oh, we didn't. We we arrived, let me put it this way, we arrived on February the 3rd, and March the 3rd, we opened. Wow. We opened with 300 US dollars, and after 30 wow. days, and this is what we didn't do we didn't have the time or the inclination to figure it out what these people wanted. I don't know if you remember in 2010, Mazatlan, 
I think the, the fancy dish was the shrimps with coconut, coconut shrimps in butter yeah. and butter and mango a, sauce. Wrapped, and, wrapped in bacon was the one yeah, I remember. Oh Cheese my God. and bacon. <laughs> heart attack. That's, it was a heart attack. <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's actually has a name. I think it's called... Uh, Diplomat or something. It's somebody, oh. somebody invented it in the 70s. Right, right. That was the you big know. thing back back in the day. Yeah, yeah, in the 70s it was uh, yeah. something. So they have a name. They have a name, like Diplomat or something like that. Anyway, so when, when we came, we said, listen, I said, let's do, let's do. I mean, I knew something would work because I, I wasn't going to do like Coco Vaughn and and things like that, but right. I knew two things for certain. One, we have a very a very large snowbird community, and the flavors of the French and Italian food they go very well with them as well. Like if I did a quiche or a tartatan or a tarta tarta la union, you know, onion tarts and and all these things, people like them, especially the ladies. Mm-hmm. And when I make my sandwiches, I make my own bread, I make my own ham. I make my own mayonnaise. I make everything myself. I make my own pastrami. We make our own ketchup. So we were working all day long to make these flavors very different. So we became successful right away, right away. And lots of, lots of Americans liked their food and, and they loved it. And it's a good thing because they, they, eat, they eat at uh, 12 o'clock in the afternoon. And then they have dinner at 5.36. You know, and then the mm-hmm. Mexicans come at two thirty for lunch, and they come for dinner at nine. So right. I had two seatings in each in each service. So it was very good. Excellent. It was very good. So we did very well, but uh, it was always we were always lacking something because of this. The restaurant was such an in such a dire situation uh, right. regarding equipment, and and I was always so stressed, always so angry. Always, always, you know, shouting and kicking the, you know, kicking the trash can and, right. you know, like, like if you like, we plug a com- the, the, one of the first weeks, we like we plug a blender to do a margarita, <laughs> and the whole restaurant just went dark. And I was like, and I was like no, you're you're joking, man. It's like really, right. I mean, we don't even have a proper electric installation. So we, after two months, I, my business partner somehow got a grant from the government for like something like 10,000 US. Mm-hmm. And I closed the restaurant for a month and I made that money stretch like uh, rubber bands <laughs> and we fixed all the electric, all the, all the sewage, all those things, you know? And so we did, so we did, uh, so we could operate normally. So you, right. I wanted the, the water to leave when I, when I, you know, when I put, put the plug, and I, I didn't want anything to burst when I plug in my iPhone. Right, you know? right. And we managed. We managed. And if after four years in that restaurant, I was working. I was the one opening the door in the morning at six, and wow. I was closing the restaurant at midnight. Wow. And it was a very long day, very long day. And eventually, I, one of my customers who used to go every single day. Wow. Every single day he used to go there. And the reason why is because he was building a tower. And his model for that, for the suite that he was building, it was a, a block from a restaurant. Okay. So he'd go there, sit down, and eat his sandwich and go away. And then every day, every day, every day, every day. Right, right. And then one day the guy said to me, 
hey, you have a minute? And I say, yeah, sure. So how sit down. And then he put some plans in the table and said, listen, I just, I bought that building in the corner. And I think your restaurant should be here because this is too small and you're never going to grow. And pa, 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 this is the size and this is what I need to do. And, this. and I look at the guy like with blank eyes and say, dude, do you think I have that money? If I had that money, I wouldn't be here. Right. I said, look, I don't have the money for investment right now. Jeez. And the guy says, oh, no, 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 no. I'm the money. You have a talent that is rare in this town I, and a work ethic. I've seen you for 40 years. You never, you never miss a day of work. You're always here. No matter what time you come, you're always here. I'm willing to put my money. And that's how Hector's Bistro started. Wow, what a great yeah, story yeah. that is. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Now it's yeah. 65 of us. It used to be only four. Now it's 65 wow. of us. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, well, you talk about the evolution of your business. You really, first you were f correcting the physical of your original place, yeah. and then you got into, so the new building that he, the new location that you moved into, was that physically intact, unlike the previous one? I mean, or was, did you? Oh, no. When I came in, when I came in to see where the restaurant was going to be, there was water up to our knees. Oh, God. It was an old building, but he had the money. Right. So this, is a, this is a contractor. This is a guy who just built two towers. Right. And he just finished building two towers. So now he's like, now what? Oh, well, now let's fix this building. So it took, it took another year and a half to, to fix it. But in, during those times, he and I were talking about the business and the structure and this and that. And and because I have a, an English wife, I understand the importance, what Anglo-Saxon people give importance to regarding relationships. Mm -hmm. And in Mexico, in Mexico, in Mexico, it's very, very easy to say, yeah, yeah, we'll see you tomorrow. And then none of them show. Right, you know? right. And, and uh, so him and I, Got along very well because if I said to him, I'll see you tomorrow at 11, I was there at 11. Right. And if I say, and also, for example, if, if he, he would ask me for something, hey, can you get me those numbers? I want to know what the return of investment is on this and that. And then I completely forgot. And right. maybe because of my ADD. <laughs> <laughs> you thought you were over that, didn't you? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I forgot completely. So the next day, he'll say, hey, do you get me those numbers? And instead of me saying, like a proper Mazatlecan, oh, no, I got the numbers, but then my dog, you know, and they got, and then my grandma died, and I had to go to the hospital, and I left them under a bridge. I said to the guy, oh, no, I totally forgot. I apologize. Let me write it down so I don't forget. I'll bring them tomorrow. That's it. I accept the fact that right. I forgot, you know. I'm, so he liked that, and then our business has, has been growing. Now we're opening our third restaurant. Wow. So and Hector Bistro, Hector Bistro has had two expansions. We used wow. to have one single salon. Then we opened another two expansions. And then wow. we opened where I'm sitting down. That's what we call the speakeasy, which is a, a private room for, for what we call uh, 10 Canadians or 22 Mexicans. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrific. So how many can you sit in, your, in, in Hector's now? How many and Hector's you... about a hundred, hundred and five. Like if I, if like I said, like if I, if I sit Mexicans only, 
I can see it 120. <laughs> we have no personal space. Right, right. You know, everybody can squeeze in and they <laughs> like it. They like it like that. It's like, right, right. They have a better time than that. And, and I have to have at least a list of food between each Canadian. Right, you right. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny that way. But it's the so, same with it's the same with Italians and French. You know, the personal space is not such a big deal. No, no, not at all. Talk about your menu a little bit and how that's evolved over the years since you started. And well, the, the menu started like this because we, we first, oh, you know what I fancy? I fancy that sandwich that we went to eat over there at the, oh, okay, let's go. Like some place in France or some place right, in Italy. Right. Let's go and get some butter. And there is no butter. Right. What do you mean there is no butter? It's all margarine. Where's the butter? Where's the butter? No, no. So you have to figure a way. Okay. Okay. So you call Mexico City, whatever. Okay, now we can get butter. Right. Then okay, let's go there. Oh, that. Oh, look, they have this. Uh, this have this uh, brie cheese because you know, you know, you've been in Mazatlan, so you know right. how they call it queso tipo, tipo manchego, queso right. tipo like I call it queso tipo queso. Right. It's a cheese that resembles a cheese. You know, it's like the thing like I can't believe it's not butter, and they say, well, actually, I can. You know, <laughs> yeah, kind of like that. Exactly. Kind of like that. Yeah. Actually, I can. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's the same thing. It's the same thing. You know, this cheese resembles manchego, and it's like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we, we eventually found Italian, like for example, my pastas are done with Italian cheese, Grana Padano, from the from the original place, from the DOP place, and we, and then I can get sometimes gorgonzola, and I sometimes I can get this. But for example, I cannot get uh, mozzarella bufala de campana from the Naples. I cannot. Mm -hmm. So the, so we get an American one that is called Belgioso, which is nothing like it. Right. So why make the why make the caprese then? Right. If you don't have the, the mozzarella de bufala de campana, which the caprese has only three ingredients, the three ingredients need to be superb. Right. So it's not like I don't know how to do it. It's just that I don't have the ingredients. Right. 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 The, the cheese is the main thing, right? So it's, mm -hmm. it's not perfect, then why make it? Anyway. So, so in a way, uh, we started to make the menu according to the product. So we found out that, okay, this is a fantastic fish. Let's use the garnish of the Italians. So let's do like insalata de rinforzo. So we put uh, capers, anchovies, uh, uh, broccoli, cauliflower, and, and, and this. And that's a salad that mm -hmm. is supposed to be like to reinforce something, so we put in the French. Or right. I do the branzino, which is the sea bass, with the panzanella. So basically tomatoes, olives, you know, uh, olive oil, salt, and bread. And the bread soaks all of the juices that you make mm -hmm. in a bowl with the tomato and the lemon dressing and everything. Mm -hmm. So everything, all those flavors, they really, the, the bread absorbs the flavors and we do sourdough bread, so it's got a bit of a tanginess to it so it starts yeah. to work and then all you right. have to do is to start to figure it out what is it that you have and then you make do with what you have right. and then sometimes i want to do something like for example in mazatlan you cannot get cream everything is sour cream right you cannot get proper cream they have something called uh, whipping cream but doesn't whip because there is no enough fat in it Right. So, I mean, you should at least take the name whipping cream away because it doesn't whip. 
it's just not enough fat content. So it's what in, in, the, in England they call it single cream. But I was a, the head pastry chef of, of uh, George Club at Mayfair. Okay. And I had single cream, double cream, extra thick double cream, whipping right. cream, clotted cream. It's like, what do you want? You know, you can make anything you want. Right. A, a creme brulee, which main ingredient is cream. Yeah. Okay. So I make creme brulee because it's got egg yolk, so I can thicken it with it. Right. So any any recipe that I had with single cream, that's what I can use. Anything with double mm. cream, that's it. I cannot use. Hmm. So, so th th there was like half of the desserts that I used to make, they require for some sort of whipped cream to it. Right. Well, all the French food, all the French pastries are diplomat, uh, mousse, pa parfait, bavarese. They all have whipped cream. Right. So right. I can't. So I'm making tarts. I'm wow. making tarts. So, so I adapt. I adapt because at the end of the day, uh, I'm not gonna be able to get that cream, right? And if right. I if I if I'm get, if I'm gonna be able to get it, it's gonna cost a lot of money because they're bringing them by plane, and and then it loses the sense. I mean, it's a nice dessert, buddy, but I don't want to pay twenty five dollars for it. Right. At the end, it, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. At the end, it has to make sense, right? I mean. Yeah, of course, absolutely. You can't you can't plan a menu if you can't get the ingredients. So you yes, need to know yes. what your your limitations are from a supply standpoint. Just a quick couple of getting some comments here from this one's from Matthew Scott. Hector is a good man and his staff is happy and works hard. Uh, Freddie Bermudez, hola Hector. So people are watching you and enjoying the right. show. Um, so what's your favorite item on tonight's menu as an example? Oh, today we to yesterday we had uh, we had a, a problem as well with the, the is that you find a supplier that gives you something that you like and then eventually he said I don't have any more of it mm -hmm. and that's just a common thing. Right. With coronavirus, the whole thing expanded three four times, so now it's worse. For right. example, all the duck that I have is from Indiana. Wow. It's a, it's called Maple Leaf Farm and it's a it's one of the best ducks I had in Mexico, in England, I, they shoot they shoot the, the birds and, and right. you get them and you have to find the the bullet right the, the little uh, the little bowl, but uh, but here no their farm and this, but they come from Indiana, so eventually the supply chain gets disrupted and I don't have right. duck right. and then the guy one guy complains hey, it is not dog I say yeah I know, but why do you have any dog? Well, because have you heard of uh, coronavirus? <laughs> yeah. Does it, does, it, does, it, does it ring a bell? <laughs> right. I mean, it's, not, it's not like I was surfing all day and I forgot to make, I mean, I know I have ADD, but I got people that right, charge right. to order the duck. <laughs> so let me ask you this. So how often do you have to change your menu now based on the supply issues? And I mean, are you uh, well, finding... I, I, uh, my friend said to me, Oh, when are you going to change the menu? And I said, oh, I changed it already. Look, I raised all the prices. You know? <laughs> <laughs> You're not breaking any new ground yeah, for that one. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but the, the, reality, the reality is that, for example, my menu consists of, let's say, 30 items. But I prepare every day for 50 items. And the reason is that 
a lot of people come to my restaurant, they don't look at the menu and they said, oh, can I have this? That hasn't been on the menu for six months. Right. But it was such a popular dish that people still order. Right. And I know, for example, that the mayor comes and he likes to have the ox tongue ravioli. Mm-hmm. And when he comes, he brings 30 people and then he says, I want, you know, and they also, because it's the government and they don't want right. to tell you too much in advance, they tell you at 11 that they want a table for 30, at 2.30, <laughs> which I can do, accommodate because now I got space. Right. And then I know the guy's going to order at least eight portions of ravioli. Right. But I have them. Right. Because I have the space, I have the people. And because we have a lot of uh, good, uh, what do you call that, reputation, we have a lot of uh, students that they work for free. Oh, that's fantastic. Good yeah, yeah, they're doing, their, they're doing their internship. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I cannot abuse them verbally nor hit them. That's, right. the, only, that's the only bad thing. But they, yeah. we'll that's, do. That's fantastic. Oh, good. No, it's good. They learn a lot because we, in, all joking aside, it's uh, we make our own bread. We make our own uh, ham, sausages, uh, pastrami. We make our own. We make our own pasta. We make our own fillings. We make our own sauces. Uh, all the stocks. We make our own ketchup, mayonnaise. So wow, when you when you're ordering a Reuben sandwich, I ordered it. We I practically, <laughs> we practically, we practically make everything except for the sour crowds. Mm-hmm. There is something about fermenting things that in Mazatlan with this weather, right, is yeah, a bit dodgy. I don't want to give yeah, anybody yeah. cutulosis, and then you're just because I couldn't. I rather ah, and this is part of the the answer to your question. I went to Sam's Club, and then I found sour crowd, and I said, right. oh look. There is sauerkraut. Right. There is no pastrami, but there is sauerkraut. <laughs> right. Let's make, I said, let's make a Reuben. So then I had to invent a way to, well, not invent, to follow a way that will work for me in Mazatlan to make pastrami. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then, oh, I have to smoke it. So let's buy a smoker. Oh, I have to brine it. Okay, so let's get brining containers. And then this and that. Okay, so we, we can only put so many uh, briskets in water in the cold room because it's for the space. Okay, so we can only right. have so many briskets per week. When they're finished, they're finished. Right. And and then we carry it on like that. Oh, look, I found this. Let's make this. You know, so it's a, it's a bit of a, I find something that I like. Like sometimes I find white asparagus. Go right. figure. So what, like what, lo- what local ingredients do you use to integrate in the dishes? Basically, whatever you can find that factors its way into a dish i mean what what local oh, the, the 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 most difficult ingredients are proteins good mm-hmm. quality proteins are hard to get like the the meat the meat is uh, is okay but it's not uh, we don't have a lot of grass right like in the midwest and the the prices of the beef i don't know if i don't think they're controlled by the government but uh but people want the return of investment right away. So nobody ages beef. Nobody mm-hmm. does that. So they practically click, kill the cow and then immediately cut it and send it to you. Mm. And the problem is that a lot of people, uh, because of the economy is getting better, 
more people are eating meat and then so therefore then they have more uh, demand for it so now they have to uh, spend less time on, on on fridges and things like that so they go fast and now the guy is buying cows from different mm-hmm. ranches right and it's wait 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 your company is called rancho 17 rancho 17 what you're claiming to be is to be shangri-la for the cows right now because everybody wants your product instead of saying no we only can produce this many you want more so raise the price like you know right adam smith said so just raise the price according to demand no he goes and gets cows from the united states or from monterrey or from whatever rubs them at rancho 17 and now his his uh quality can be fantastic or can be just good Mm-hmm. And for that price, I don't want that. Right, right. And so I buy, I buy certified Black Angus beef USDA choice. But with the coronavirus and the, the suspension of the chains of distribution, now is the price of a small car. Right. So nobody's going to pay that much money for a steak. No, no. Beef's gotten out of control here in the States, too. You yeah. Know, $40, $50 for a steak. It's uh, In a restaurant. Yeah, in the restaurant, I mean. All yeah. right. So my yeah. steak, my my steak is uh, fifteen US. Wow. Fifteen to twenty US. Crazy. But it has gone, but has gone up to thirty. Right. When I, I was using it. when I was using certified black angus. Wow. So, you're a world class chef. Your wife is a chef. Who does the cooking at home? Well. It's funny because when when uh, when we were working together in the restaurant, uh, eventually uh, our dream came true, and then uh, we had a child. So she asked me if it's okay to to stay home, and I felt very very happy that out of all the things she could choose to become, you know, a businesswoman or whatever she wanted to be, because she could she, she can she could she whatever. Right. Uh, she decided to raise her children. So I feel very lucky. Yeah. Very lucky because nobody right. nobody raises the children better than mom, usually. Right. Usually. Right. I mean, some people might disagree, but in right. most cases, mom is the best. Right. So for, I'm very lucky for that. So she cooks at home. But of course, we have a proper kitchen at home. We have like a professional right. stove, professional right. blenders, professional mixers, professional... Then my friends come in and they go, "Oh my God, what are you opening another restaurant?" I said, "Well, no, my wife, my wife is a chef. I'm right. not gonna give her like you know this little. No, no, everything is top notch." Yeah, that's great. Sometimes I call her, "Hey, can we borrow your your Le Creuset pot?" <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. this is mine. You're gonna ruin it. You know? Wow. Hey, Hector, talk about the restaurant scene in Mazatlan right now and in Centro since since you've been there. I mean, I, I forget what Alfredo had told me at Pedro and Lola's that time, that there were over 75 restaurants now in Centro. That number is probably even more than that now. But talk about the restaurant scene in Mazatlan because it's, it's come a long it's, way uh, from uh, the peeled shrimp days and, uh, you know. Yes, yes. Yeah, certainly, certainly, certainly it has evolved. And it makes me happy to know that we had a little bit to do with that. We Mm -hmm. started with, the way I see it is this, Mazatlecans were ready. Mm -hmm. Then I came and did it. And because I never asked anybody and I never, never, I just went and did it. 
Mm-hmm. But a friend of mine who was there, everybody told him, oh, don't, you know, no one's going to pay for that. Right. I didn't, I came from London on February the 3rd, and by March the 3rd, I opened my doors. So for 30 days, I had no time to listen to anyone, to ask any <laughs> questions. I just said, this is what we're going to do. And if we fail, we pack it up and go back. Mm-hmm. But we didn't, and we succeeded immediately. And then Presidio opened the door. Mm-hmm. And then my restaurant became very, very small compared to Presidio. Right. And then House Casa 46 opened its door. And oh my God, this is like serious money because right. Presidio's money, Presidio's family, and Casa 46 family, they're minted. Right. So they had like, you know, that's rich for your American audience. Right, right, right. <laughs> so right. so these, uh, these guys had no, no limits. Right. So they did it very well. So that's when I got my business partner to back me up on this one. And then, then, then the ground became even again. Yeah. So we were, we were. Uh-oh, we lost you a little bit there. I think we lost. I'm you. here. That's it. That's okay. It. There you go. There you go. Uh, uh, so, no so, 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 uh, so anyway, so the, the point was that, uh, eventually more people are starting to open another thing that now open is all with, uh, Thai, Thai fusion, and then uh, we have a couple of omikase ones, Japanese ones. Wow! And then we, we have a real good one, a real, real small bar. Wow! You, you pay accordingly, but it's mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not what what I call tropi sushi, no, with with cheese and no, no. This is like proper proper Japanese, and they bring and they bring yeah. the and they bring the the proper they bring the proper uh, things. Uh, uh, to the uh, what's his name they bring the proper things to the table they bring the right fish and the right uh, everything so it's amazing it's amazing wow, you know yeah, and, uh, that's cool and that's people cool. pay for it people pay right for it. oh yeah well once it's upon a time you couldn't get any kind of those any of the international uh cuisine in mazatlan you know yeah back in the late 90s even i mean yeah. there wasn't there wasn't Indian or Japanese or Chinese or, you know, there was Italian yeah. and maybe a little bit, but yeah, yeah. let me ask you this. What dish can you find in Mazatlan that you won't find anywhere else? Oh. Uh, anywhere in the, anywhere outside of Sinaloa will be probably Asado La Plaza, the local, local the typical Mazatlecan uh, dinner dish, but it's basically it's basically some sort of chicken or some sort of pork with lots of, lots of uh, shredded uh, lettuce, on, uh, lettuce, um, um, carrots, etc., etc. But it has a beautiful, uh, a beautiful sauce that is very. It's almost like a soup, like a very light, like mm-hmm. a stock, like a mm-hmm. stock. And mm-hmm. it's very, 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 very nice. And um, Sinaloa, Sinaloa has these particular dishes, but also they they they're similar to the ones in the peak, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, no? You can say mm-hmm. it like almost like Midwest. So right. you have the, that a few states that have the same, right? Right, right, absolutely. You know, you know, everybody, that's a bit different. It's kind of like, kind of like the kind of like brisket. 
Oh, we right. don't use we use pepper and salt. Oh, because we're in Texas, we don't use pepper and salt. Oh no, right. we put we put chili. Oh, we put honey. We put this. We put that. Right. Everybody's got their own yeah. little spin. Every, yeah. Exactly. Right. Every yeah. state and like that. So yeah. Mazatlan, Mazatlan, we have a lot of seafood, obviously, but uh, we also Sinaloa does a lot of vegetables. We have a lot of vegetables, mm-hmm. and um, and that's it. You know, that's. Uh, yeah. Okay. But yeah, yeah, it's just, it's just that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this is the uh, we're getting ready to get to the end of the show here, but I do a little lightning round of uh, for the interview. So, your first question is: What's your favorite place to eat in Mazatlan that's not your own restaurant? Oh, I go to this place called uh, Now. It's my friend Andrea. Andrea is a Thai because her flavors are very different to most. She uses a lot of ginger, lemongrass, chili, mm. and she's she's 30, so she's very creative. She has a lot of enthusiasm, and she's always pushing the envelope. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a lot of my friends and I, we became more now businessmen, and we do what works, and, and we do a look at the numbers. And she's a, such a young chef that what she wants is her main goal is to have the best of this, whether it makes sense financially or not. She just right. gets it out there. And then takes him a few orders to realize that she's not making any money on that. But, but he's pretty good. <laughs> and you're enjoying it while it lasts. Yeah, 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 exactly. That I'm always funny. there to I'm always there to try it. <laughs> How no. about your, your favorite bar in Mazatlan? Oh, there is a place called Patio Escobedo, but there is, the bar scene has changed because I don't know if your North American uh, audience knows that we're not really into bars. Right. We don't have that culture that you finish work at five and then you go to a pub or you go right. to a bar. Like like in all the movies in the United States, you have the bar where all the reporters hang out. Or you right. have the bar right. where all the lawyers hang out. Right. And, you know, we don't. We have cantinas. But cantinas right. are very undesirable drinking spots. That's where all the drunks go, right? <laughs> and drunks for trouble. Ex- ex- right. Except for Mexico City, where the cantinas... You can get really high end, but it's mostly a restaurant, more than a cantina. Right. But now, now the bar scene is starting to pop up. So there are two in Central. One is uh, it's got a name in Nahuatl that I can never forget. I can never remember, but it's they serve mezcal, oh, and wow. it's in this this old house, kind of like Art Deco uh, decoration, and uh, it's a really nice place. So, so it hangs a lot of people hang out there. Mostly millennials, 30-year-old, very trendy. Mm-hmm. But I go to one called Patio Escobedo. Patio Escobedo is very similar to Presidio. It was, it was built in a, in a, in a very old uh, house that had broken down. Mm-hmm. But instead of injecting the money that Casa 40, the Presidio did, they all did it in a shoestring. Wow. So it's amazing the level of creativity that they use yeah, to, to make it look cool. So it's a really nice place. Oh, and because somehow they managed to close the doors at three in the morning, two in the morning, wow. all, of, all, of, all of the chefs after service on Saturday, That's we all the go spot. there. <laughs> yeah, we all go sense. there. And it's yeah. a lot of people, a lot of people there. Wow. All different ages because... The problem, the problem is that if I go to a bar, it's look like I'm looking for my daughter. Like, right. you know, <laughs> yeah. Jesus, what, what are you doing here, Grandpa? You know, everybody's twenty. Right, everybody's right. Twenty. I look like like a perverted old man. You know, 
But uh, the yeah. Pato Escobedo, no, it's a lot of people my age and makes me feel comfortable. Okay. You know? That sounds know. awesome. So yeah. tell me about uh, your favorite food uh, that you like to eat in Mazatlan. Oh, I'm a taco guy. Yeah. I mean, everybody loves seafood. Right. I find that there is very little variation from, from one place to the other. It's mostly into the quality of the freshness. So mm -hmm. I have my favorites like Beto and all that. Right. But, but to be honest, uh, I'm a taco guy. And oh, Mexico yeah. has tacos for the morning that you will not find after 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You got tacos for the middle of the day and you got tacos for the evening that you wow. won't find in the morning. Wow. And you can go from oxtail to, to, to uh, machaca de camarón, from anything, anything. Yeah. And, and one and I, I don't want to know what's in that. <laughs> there's more food trucks now in Mazatlan than there used to be. And they do. Well, I know there's some we, taco trucks. In we, we don't. The thing about the food truck, the food truck comes from the first world countries like New York and, right. and London is not a big thing because it's all regulated that they, want, they don't allow it. Right. But the food truck comes from London because you have the financial district and all the right. restaurants are $300 per person. Right. So what is the normal secretary eat? So you don't want to eat like that. So you started with the right. bagels and the hot dogs and, right. and now they're food trucks with international cuisine. Right. But in Mazatlan, we have what we call carreta, which is a stainless steel little pushing car. Because when, mm -hmm. the, when the guy finishes, he pushes the carreta out of the way. Right, right. You see him so lined up along the malecon. And, and a, exactly. Oh, he's just there for a minute. You know, right. he's going to go finish and wrap it up and go. He doesn't right. leave it overnight. Right. So, so we have carretas since the beginning of time. So the food truck never cut on. Yeah, never cut on. They they, they they made a park, they made a park where they swing the uh, golf, right? And in that golf park, they made a trucking, but another park with all the trucks, with the food trucks. Mm -hmm. But we're more into carretas and trucks. Yeah, Matthew Scott just wrote in again. We also like patio escobedo. Good food and there entertainment. Go. The young owners are doing it right for Centro. That's what he said. Yeah, yeah. Matthew, Matthew probably goes uh, with Americans in the early, because most of the entertainment is live music and it's mostly North Americans and they serve food. If Matthew mm -hmm. can stay awake until three in the morning, he'll see another <laughs> patio escobedo. Yeah, that's funny. Hey, Hector, what's your favorite beach in Mazatlan? Well, I, I live across the street from Olas Altas. Mm -hmm. I'm, not, uh, I'm not a beach person anymore. I used to kayak right. and surf and all that. Now I love motorcycles and I do mm -hmm. a lot of dirt motorcycles. I go enduro and cycling a lot. So I'm staying I'm stay on the ground most of the time now. So mm -hmm. I don't really go to the beach. Uh, Maybe because I don't have a beach body. Maybe that influences right. my decision. Well, you're, you're, I see your sister's <laughs> surfing a lot now. Claudia is surfing. Oh, yeah, you yeah, need, yeah, you need yeah. to go with her. You guys can uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, 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 maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How about your uh, your favorite activity in Mazatlan when friends come to visit? I'm, I'm sure going out is... Well, we usually, at my age, what we do is we eat in restaurants. Right. We we sit at a table of eight in a restaurant. We start at three in the afternoon, and by eight o'clock, the guy says, "Hey guys, I need a table because I got a booking at nine. 
Right. You know, this is what we do now. We sit at tables and we eat for hours and we drink for hours. And this is what we do, you know. Right. And another thing we like to do is that we, some of my friends do have boats, or either that or we rent a sailboat. And we just go around the around the pier and sail and listen to music. And But that's yeah. just that, right? Yeah, but yeah, mostly what right. we do is most of my friends, they ride motorcycles. Or you know, and, right. and so we just ride, and we yeah. do a lot of we do a lot of activities relating to eating. Like, oh, let's go to this new restaurant in Guadalajara. So we right. ride to Guadalajara, eat there, spend the night, come back the next day. Wow, that's great. You know, how about your uh, your favorite recent improvement in Mazatlan? Mazatlan's made a ton of improvements since the Tiangas and after. What's well, your, the, the Centro Historico has got to be my favorite because this certainly benefit me directly. Right. And and the other one that is fantastic is the Libramiento that goes from the Golden Zone directly to the airport. Right. So now, now if you're staying in Cerritos, it takes you 15 minutes right. to get to the airport. So right. if you arrive from the airport, you get to Emerald Bay in 15 minutes as instead yes. of crossing the whole town. You know? Yeah, no, that's been a fantastic improvement. You're right about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because especially yeah. if you arrive in a, in a busy time of the year, right. it could take you an hour and a half just to cross right. the Malecon. You know? No, it's true. It's true. Yeah, that is a big one. Well, Hector, we're getting to the end of our show here. Great job. You nailed it. I'm glad we were able to see each other after all yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> But now yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it over to you before we end the show for you to to say whatever you want. Uh, yes, right now right now there was a young it is a young director there is a young director called Isaac Arriegeri, and he made a documentary kind of like Chef's Table, mm-hmm. but with all the guys from Mazatlan. So there are four chefs in Mazatlan. Today is the premiere at oh, Cinepolis wow. on the cinema, but this okay. is invitation only because this is all the the actors and the actresses and all that for that documentary. Right. But it's, it's on, on the app in the app in Cinepolis click. Okay. And then you can get an idea for the people who live far. I get an idea what Sinaloa looks like from the north to the south because the Cinepolis click is a, a pay, pay-per-view event. So you pay okay. for the whole, you pay, let's say $5 and you watch the six episodes. So it's a very good, and it's a, it's not very good. It's it's a not very good. It's in Spanish, but I'm sure it has subtitles. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and anybody wants to real wants to have an idea what food from Sinaloa looks like, that is exactly the place to go. No? So is it four chefs from Mazatlan? Are you included? It's four chefs from. I am. I am. I oh, am fantastic! The, good for you. Yeah, uh, yeah, and then two two from Culiacan and two from Mochis. Yeah, oh, that's excellent. Congratulations. Yeah. That's that's exciting. But Mazatlan, Mazatlan got the spotlight because there are more people there, no? More yeah, yeah. more restaurants, more food scene, more no? That's fantastic. Good for you. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, I'm gonna sign off my best of Mazatlan show with this. Uh, we all have choices in life. Choose love, not hate. Choose positive, not negative. And always remember the glass is half full. And if you're lucky, it'll be half full of tequila from La Sasuna. Stay tuned for the next Best of Mazatlan show on Tuesday, June 21st. Adios, amigos. Thanks for joining us.